This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Nightlight has partnered with Fan Roll Dice by Metallic Dice Games to offer an exclusive discount on one of their gorgeous dice sets that we've fallen in love with because of their satisfying weight and, let's just be honest, sparklies not to mention their impeccably constructed dice accessories. In one word, velvet. Visit fanrolldice.com, that's F-A-N-R-O-L-L-D-I-C-E dot com, and use our discount code NIGHTLIGHT for 10% off any new additions to your dice hoard. A portion of your purchase will come back to us and help support our shows. So go to fanrolldice.com with the discount code NIGHTLIGHT to get 10% off of any additions to your dice hoard. Hi, I'm Tanya Ransom, creator and executive producer of Nightlight, a horror podcast featuring creepy tales written and performed by Black creatives from all over the world. This week, we have a classic tale of a haunted kitchen built with lumber used in conjure work. But before we get to tormented timber, I want to take a moment to say thanks to our newest patrons. Thanks to Andrea, Lee, and Carly. Thanks also to Alexis for your donation via PayPal. Nightlight will be produced year-round thanks to the Nightlight Legion, and now we'd love to bring you new episodes every single week. Just go to patreon.com slash nightlightpod to join the Nightlight Legion and get a shout-out on the podcast. And don't forget, Nightlight merch is available, and you can support us by sporting Nightlight-branded gear. Just go to merch.nightlightpod.com to get your t-shirts, hoodies, notebooks, and more. Now sit back, turn out the lights, and enjoy Poe Sandy, written by Charles W. Chestnut, Narrated by James K. White. On the northeast corner of my vineyard in central North Carolina and fronting on the Lumberton Plank Road, there stood a small frame house of the simplest construction. It was built of pine lumber and contained but one room to which one window gave light and one door admission. Its weather-beaten sides revealed a virgin innocence of paint. Against one end of the house, and occupying half its width, there stood a huge brick chimney. The crumbling mortar had left large cracks between the bricks. The bricks themselves had begun to scale off in large flakes, leaving the chimney sprinkled with unsightly blotches. These evidences of decay were but partially concealed by a creeping vine, which extended its slender branches hither and thither, in an ambitious but futile attempt to cover the whole chimney. The wooden shutter, which had once protected the unglazed window, had fallen from its hinges, and lay rotting in the rank grass and jimson weeds beneath. This building, I learned when I bought the place, had been used as a schoolhouse for several years prior to the breaking out of the war, since which time it had remained unoccupied, save when some stray cow or vagrant hog had sought shelter within its walls from the chill rains and nipping winds of winter. One day, my wife requested me to build her a new kitchen. The house, erected by us when we first came to live upon the vineyard, contained a very conveniently arranged kitchen, 
but for some occult reason my wife wanted a kitchen in the back yard, apart from the dwelling house, after the usual southern fashion. Of course, I had to build it. To save expense, I decided to tear down the old schoolhouse, and use the lumber, which was in a good state of preservation, in the construction of the new kitchen. Before demolishing the old house, however, I made an estimate of the amount of material contained in it, and found that I would have to buy several hundred feet of lumber additional, in order to build the new kitchen according to my wife's plan. One morning, old Julius McAdoo, our colored coachman, harnessed the gray mare to the rockaway, and drove my wife and me over to the sawmill from which I meant to order the new lumber. We drove down the long lane which led from our house to the plank road. Following the plank road for about a mile, we turned into a road running through the forest and across the swamp to the sawmill beyond. Our carriage jolted over the half-rotted corduroy road which traversed the swamp and then climbed the long hill leading to the sawmill. When we reached the mill, the foreman had gone over to a neighboring farmhouse, probably to smoke or gossip, and we were compelled to await his return before we could transact our business. We remained seated in the carriage, a few rods from the mill, and watched the leisurely movements of the mill hands. We had not waited long before a huge pine log was placed in position. The machinery of the mill was set in motion, and the circular saw began to eat its way through the log with a loud whirr which resounded throughout the vicinity of the mill. The sound rose and fell in a sort of rhythmic cadence, which, heard from where we sat, was not unpleasing, and not loud enough to prevent conversation. When the saw started on its second journey through the log, Julius observed in a lugubrious tone, and with a perceptible shudder, Hmm, but that just do cuddle my blood. What's the matter, Uncle Julius? inquired my wife, who is of a very sympathetic turn of mind. Does the noise affect your nerves? No, Miss Annie, replied the old man with emotion. I ain't nervous, but that saw of cutting and grinding through that stick of timber and moaning and groaning and sweaking carries my memories back to old times and minds me of Poe Sandy. The pathetic intonation with which he lengthened out the Poe Sandy touched a responsive chord in our own hearts. And who was poor Sandy, asked my wife, who takes a deep interest in the stories of plantation life which she hears from the lips of the older colored people. Some of these stories are quaintly humorous, others wildly extravagant, revealing the oriental cast of the Negro's imagination, while others, poured freely into the sympathetic ear of a northern-bred woman, disclose many a tragic incident of the darker side of slavery. Sandy said Julius, replying to my wife's question, was a nigger what used to belong to old Moss Marable McSwain. Moss Marable's place was on the other side of the swamp, right next to your place. Sandy was a monstrous good nigger, and could do so many things there about the plantation, and all his tend to his work so well, that when Moss Marable's chillins growed up and married off, they all of them wanted their daddy for to get him Sandy for a wedding present. But Mars Marabo knowed the rest wouldn't be satisfied if he gin Sandy to air one of them. So when they was all done mad, he fixed it by allowing one of his chillins to take Sandy for a month or so, and then another for a month or so, and so on that away till they had all had him the same length of time. And then they would all take him round again, 
"'Cepting once in a while when Mars Maribel would lend him to some of his other kinfolks round the country, when they were short of hands, till by and by it got so Sandy didn't hardly know where he was going to stay from one week's end to the other. One time, when Sandy was lent out as usual, a speculator come along with a lot of niggers, and Mars Maribel swapped Sandy's wife off for a new woman. When Sandy come back, Mars Maribel gave him a dollar, and loud he was monstrous sorry for the breakup of the family. But the speculator had given him big boot, and times was hard and money scarce, and so he was bleached to make a trade. Sandy took on some about losing his wife, but he soon seed they wasn't no use crying over spilt molasses. And being as he lacked the looks of the new woman, he took up with her after she'd been on the plantation a month or so. Sandy and his new wife got on mighty well together, and the niggas all minced to talk about how loving they was. When Tenny was took sick once, Sandy used to sit up all night with her, and then go to work in the morning just like he had his regular sleep, and Tenny would have done anything in the world for her Sandy. Sandy and Tenny hadn't been living together for more than two months before Mars Maribel's old uncle, who had lived down in Robeson County, sent up to find out if Mars Maribel couldn't lend him or hire him a good hand for a month or so. Sandy's master was one of these here easy-going folks would want to please everybody, and he says yes, he could lend him Sandy. And Mars Maribel told Sandy for to get ready to go down to Robeson next day for to stay a month or so. It was monstrous hard on Sandy for to take him away from Tenny. It was so far down to Robeson that he didn't have no chance of coming back to see her till the time was up. He wouldn't have mind coming ten or fifteen mile at night to see Tenny. But Mars Maribel's uncle's plantation was more than forty mile off. Sandy was mighty sad and cast down after what Mars Maribel told him. And he says to Tenny, says he, I'm getting monstrous tired of this year going round so much. Here I is lent to Mars Jeems this month, and I got to do so-and-so, and to Mars Archie the next month, and I got to do so-and-so, then I got to go to Miss Jenny's. And it's Sandy this, and Sandy that, and Sandy here, and Sandy there, till it appears to me I ain't got no home, nor no master, nor no mistress, nor no nothing. I can't even keep a wife. My other old woman was sold away without my getting a chance for to tell her goodbye. And now I got to go off and leave you, Tenny. And I don't know whether I'm ever going to see you again. And no, I wish I was a tree, a stump, or a rock, or something what could stay on the plantation for a while. After Sandy got through talking, Tenny didn't say now a word, but just sat there by the fire studying and studying. By and by, she up and says, Sandy, is I ever told you I was a conjure woman? Course, Sandy hadn't never dreamt of nothing like that, and he made a great miration when he hear what Tenny say. By and by, Tenny went on. I ain't goofed nobody, nor done no conjure work for 15 year or more. And when I got religion, I made up my mind I wouldn't work no more goofer. But there is some things I don't believe is no sin for to do. And if you don't want to be sent round from pillar to post, and if you don't want to go down to Robeson, I can fix things so you won't have to. If you'll just say the word, I can turn you to whatever you want to be, and you can stay right where you want to, as long as you mind to. Sandy say he don't care. He's willing for to do anything for to stay close to Tenny. Then Tenny asks him if he don't want to be turned into a rabbit. Sandy say, nah, the dogs might get after me. 
Shall I turn you to a wolf? Says Tenny. Nah, everybody's scared of a wolf, and I don't want nobody to be scared of me. Shall I turn you to a mockingbird? Nah, a hawk might catch me. I want to be turned into something what'll stay in one place. I can turn you to a tree, says Tenny. You won't have no mouth, no ears, but I can turn you back once in a while so you can get something to eat and hear what's going on. Well, Sandy say that'll do. And so Tenny took him down by the edge of the swamp, not fur from the quarters, and turned him into a big pine tree and sought him out amongst some other trees. And the next morning, as some of the field hands was going along there, they see the tree what they didn't remember ever having seed before. It was monstrous queer, and they was pleased to allow that they hadn't remembered right, or else one of the saplings had been growing monstrous fast. When Mars Maribo discovered that Sandy was gone, he allowed Sandy had run away. He got the dogs out, but the last place they could track Sandy to was the foot of that pine tree. And there the dogs stood and barked and bayed and pawed at the tree and tried to climb up on it. And when they was took round through the swamp to look for the scent, they broke loose and made for that tree again. It was the beatenest thing the white folks ever heard of. And Mars Maribo allowed that Sandy must have climbed up on the tree and jump off on a mule or something and reared fur enough for the spot of scent. Mars Maribo wanted to cue some of the other niggers of helping Sandy off. But they all knighted to the last, and everybody knowed Tenny sought too much stole by Sandy for to help him run away while she couldn't never see him no more. When Sandy had been gone long enough for folks to think he'd done got clean away, Tenny used to go down to the woods at night and turn him back, and then they'd slip up to the cabin and sit by the fire and talk. But they had to be monstrous careful, or else somebody would have seen him, and that would have spoiled the whole thing. So Tenny always turned Sandy back in the morning early, before anybody was astern. But Sandy didn't get along without his trials and tribulations. One day a woodpecker come along and minced a peck at the tree. And the next time Sandy was turns back, he had a little round hole in his arm, just like a sharp stick been stuck in it. After that, Tenny sought a sparrowhawk for to watch the tree. And when the woodpecker come along next morning for to finish his nest, he got gobbled up most for he stuck his bill in the box. Another time, Mars Maribo sent a nigger out in the woods for to chop turpentine boxes. The man chop a box in this here tree and hacked the bark up two or three feet for to let the turpentine run. The next time Sandy was turned back, he had a big scar on his left leg, just like it been skunt. And it took Tenny nigh about all night for to fix a mixture to cure it up. After that, Tenny sought a haunted for to watch the tree. And when the nigger come back again for to cut another box on the other side of the tree, the hornet stung him so hard that the axe slipped and cut his foot nigh about off. When Tennis see so many things happening to the tree, she concluded she had to turn Sandy to something else. And after studying the matter over and talking with Sandy one evening, she made up her mind for to fix up a goofer mixture what would turn herself and Sandy to foxes or something so they could run away and go somewheres where they could be free and live like white folks. But there ain't no telling what's going to happen in this world. Tenny had got the night sought for her and Sandy to run away, when that very day one of Mars Maribel's sons rid up to the big house in his buggy and say his wife was monstrous sick and he wanted his mammy to lend him a woman for the nurse's wife. Tenny's mistress say, send Tenny. 
she was a good nurse. Young Mars was in a terrible hurry for to get back home. Tenny was washing at the big house that day, and her mistress say she should go right along with her young massa. Tenny tried to make some excuse for to get away and hide till night, when she would have everything fixed up for her and Sandy. She say she want to go to her cabin for to get her bonnet. Her mistress say it don't matter about the bonnet. Her head hanker was good enough. Then Tenny say she want to get her best frock. Her mistress say no, she don't need no more frock. And when that one got dirty, she could get a clean one where she was going. So Tenny had to get in the buggy and go along with young Moss Duncan to his plantation, which was more than twenty mile away, and there wasn't no chance of her seeing Sandy no more till she come back home. The poor gal felt monstrous bad about the way things was going on, and she knowed Sandy must be a wondering why she didn't come turning back no more. Whilst Tenny was away nussing young Moss Duncan's wife, Mars Marabo took a notion for to build him a new kitchen, and being as he had lots of timber on his place, he begun to look round for a tree to have the lumber sawed outen, and I don't know how it come to be so, but it happened for to hit on the very tree which Sandy was turns into. Tenny was gone, and there wasn't nobody in there nothing for to watch the tree. The two men would cut the tree down, say they never had such a time with a tree before. The axes would glance off and didn't appear to make no progress through the wood. And of all the creaking and shaking and wobbling you ever see, that tree done it when it commenced to fall. It was the beatingest thing. When they got the tree all trim up, they chained it up to a timber wagon and start for the sawmill. But they had a hard time getting a log there. First they got stuck in the mud when they was going across the swamp, and it was two or three hours before they could get it out. When they start on again, the chain kept a coming loose, and they had to keep a stopping and a stopping for to hitch the log up again. When they commenced to climb the hill to the sawmill, the log broke loose and rolled down the hill in amongst the trees, and it took nigh about half a day more to get it hauled up to the sawmill. The next morning, after the day the tree was hauled to the sawmill, Tenny come home. When she got back to her cabin, the first thing she done was to run down to the woods and see how Sandy was getting home. When she seed the stump standing there, with the sap running out in it, and the limbs laying scattered round, she nigh about went out in her mind. She run to her cabin, and got a goofer mixture, and then followed the track of the timber wagon to the sawmill. She knowed Sandy couldn't live more than a minute or so if she turns him back, for he was all chopped up, so he'd have been bleached to die. But she wanted to turn him back long enough for to explain to him that she hadn't went off a purpose and left him to be chopped down and sawed up. She didn't want Sandy to die with no hard feelings towards her. The hands at the sawmill had just got the big log on the carriage and was starting up the saw when they see the woman running up the hill, all out of breath, crying and going on just like she was plumb stracted. It was Tenny. She come right into the mill and throwed herself on the log right in front of the saw, a hollering and crying to her Sandy to forgive her and not to think hard of her, for it wasn't no fault of her. Then Tenny remembered the tree didn't have no years, and she was getting ready for the work of goofer mixture so as to turn Sandy back when the mill hands caught hold of her and tied her arms with a rope and fastened her to one of the posts in the sawmill. And then they started to saw up again and cut the log up into boards and scantlings right before her eyes. But it was mighty hard work, for of all the squeaking and moaning and groaning, 
That log done it whilst the saw was a cutting through it. The saw was one of these here old-timey up-and-down saws, and it took longer them days to saw a log than it do now. They greased the saw, but that didn't stop the fuss. It kept right on, till finally they got the log all sawed up. When the overseer would run the sawmill come from breakfast, the hands up and tell him about the crazy woman, as they suppose she was, what had come running in the sawmill, a hollering and going on, and tried to throw herself before the saw. And the overseer sent two or three of the hands for to take Tenny back to her master's plantation. Tenny appeared to be out in her mind for a long time, and her master had to lock her up in the smokehouse till she got over her spells. Mars Maribo was monstrous mad, and it would have made your flesh crawl for to hear him cuss, cause he say the speculator what he got Tenny from had fooled him by walking a crazy woman off on him. Whilst Tenny was locked up in the smokehouse, Mars Maribo took and hauled a lumber from the sawmill and put up his new kitchen. When Tenny got quiet down so she could be allowed to go round the plantation, she up and told her master all about Sandy and the pine tree. And when Mars Maribo heard it, he lied she was the worst distracted nigger he ever heard of. He didn't know what to do with Tenny. First he thought he'd put her in the pole house. But finally, seeing as she didn't do no harm to nobody nor nothing, but just went around moaning and groaning and shaking her head, he cluded to let her stay on the plantation and nurse the little nigger chillins when they mammies was to work in the cotton field. The new kitchen Mars Marabou built wasn't much use, for it hadn't been put up long before the niggers missed to notice queer things about it. They could hear something moaning and groaning about in the kitchen in the night time, and when the wind would blow, they could hear something a-hollering and squeaking like it was in great pain and suffering. And it got so after a while that it was all Mars Maribo's wife could do to get a woman to stay in the kitchen in the daytime long enough to do the cooking. And there wasn't no nigger on the plantation what wouldn't rather take forty than to go about that kitchen after dark. That is, excepting Tenny. She didn't appear to mind the haunts. She used to slip round at night and sit on the kitchen steps and lean up against the dough jam and run on to herself with some kind of foolishness what nobody couldn't make out. But Mars Maribo had threatened to send her off in the plantation if she say anything to any of the other niggers about the pine tree. But somehow or other, the niggers found out all about it, and they all knowed the kitchen was haunted by Sandy's spirit. And by and by it got so Mars Maribo's wife herself was scared to go out in the yard after dark. When it come to that, Mars Maribo took and towed the kitchen down and used the lumber for to build that old schoolhouse what you were talking about pulling down. The schoolhouse was in use, excepting in the daytime, and on dark nights folks going along the road would hear queer sounds and see queer things. Poor old Tenny used to go down there at night and wander around the schoolhouse, and the niggas all loud she went for to talk with Sandy's spirit. In one winter morning, when one of the boys went to school early for to start the fire, what should he find but poor old Tenny laying on the floor, stiff and cold and dead. There didn't appear to be nothing particular the matter with her. She had just grieved herself to death for her Sandy. Mars Maribo didn't shed no tears. He thought Tenny was crazy, and there wasn't no telling what she might do next. And there ain't much room in this world for crazy white folks, let alone a crazy nigger. It wasn't long after that before Mars Maribo sold a piece of his track of land to Mars Dougal McAdoo, my old master. And that's how the old schoolhouse happened to be on your place. When the wall broke out, 
the school stopped, and the old schoolhouse been standing empty ever since. That is, excepting for the haunts. And folks says that the old schoolhouse, or any other house what got any of that lumber in it what was sawed out in the tree what Sandy was turned into, is going to be haunted till the last piece of plank is rotted and crumble into dust. Annie had listened to this gruesome narrative with strained attention. What a system it was, she exclaimed, when Julius had finished, under which such things were possible. What things? I asked in amazement. Are you seriously considering the possibility of a man's being turned into a tree? Oh, no, she replied quickly. Not that. And then she murmured absently, and with a dim look in her fine eyes, Poor Tenny. We ordered the lumber and returned home. That night, after we had gone to bed, and my wife had to all appearances been sound asleep for half an hour, she startled me out of an incipient doze by exclaiming suddenly, John, I don't believe I want my new kitchen built out of the lumber in that old schoolhouse. You wouldn't for a moment allow yourself, I replied with some asperity, to be influenced by that absurdly impossible yarn which Julius was spinning today. I know the story is absurd, she replied dreamily, and I am not so silly as to believe it, but I don't think I should ever be able to take any pleasure in that kitchen if it were built out of that lumber. Besides, I think the kitchen would look better and last longer if the lumber were all new. Of course, she had her way. I bought the new lumber, though not without grumbling. A week or two later, I was called away from home on business. On my return, after an absence of several days, my wife remarked to me, John, there has been a split in the Sandy Run Colored Baptist Church on the temperance question. About half the members have come out from the main body and set up for themselves. Uncle Julius is one of the seceders, and he came to me yesterday and asked if they might not hold their meetings in the old schoolhouse for the present. I hope you didn't let the old rascal have it, I returned with some warmth. I had just received a bill for the new lumber I had bought. Well, she replied, I couldn't refuse him the use of the house for so good a purpose. And I'll venture to say, I continued, that you subscribe something toward the support of the new church? She did not attempt to deny it. What are they going to do about the ghost? I asked, somewhat curious to know how Julius would get around this obstacle. Oh, replied Annie, Uncle Julius says that ghosts never disturb religious worship, but that if Sandy's spirit should happen to stray into meeting by mistake, no doubt the preaching would do it good. Thanks again to our patrons for supporting this podcast. Because of your support, listeners around the world get creepy tales in their ears every other week. If you want new stories every week, the only way for that to happen is to join the Nightlight Legion by going to patreon.com slash nightlightpod and supporting this podcast. You can also make a one-time donation via PayPal at paypal.me slash nightlightpodcast. If you're unable to support us financially, word of mouth is the next best way to help. Give us a shout out online on Twitter or Instagram at nightlightpod or like us on Facebook at nightlightpod. Reviews are also a huge help, so be sure to leave a few kind words on your podcast platform of choice. Audio production for this episode by Jen Zink. And to thank you for listening until the very end, we have a creepy fact for you. Haunted forests are a fairly common occurrence, but have you heard of the Bermuda Triangle of Transylvania? 
1968, a man claims to have witnessed a visit from a UFO over Hoya Bachu Forest in Romania. Some believe it contains a portal to another dimension, causing unwitting visitors to disappear. Those who do return home after wandering through the oddly curved trees in the forest report nausea, strange rashes, and intense anxiety. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new story. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.